Anyway, good morning to you all. Um, if you've picked up one of the uh, church Bibles, um, one of these coloured ones, you'll find the reading that I'd like you to turn to now on page 1030, 1030. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible with you and you want to follow, and you're brave, like that young lady there, there's three down the front. Come and get one. We'll be looking at a variety of verses. They're all in Luke's Gospel. And uh, the reading uh, is Luke, well, where we're going to begin is Luke chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 4 on page 1030 in this Bible. There we are. That's that done. And what we're going to look at, to start with, are the words Jesus spoke just before he starts his public ministry in Luke's Gospel. What I wonder, will the words of Jesus, the word may flesh be, what will he begin by saying? Luke chapter 4 verse 4. And Jesus is in the wilderness and being tempted by Satan to disobey God. And these are the first words of Jesus. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. I know I'm a bit weird, but I just think that's wonderful. The first recorded words of Jesus at this point. He speaks the word of God. He is the word of God. He speaks the word of God. It comes from Deuteronomy 8.3. It appears that Jesus knew his Bible. And uh, can anyone complete the whole verse as it is in Deuteronomy? Man shall not live by bread alone, but... Yeah, well done. Brownie points for those over there. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And here we have the mouth of God made flesh. The living word speaks the word of God. And he's saying to people, you're running after your bread and there's nothing wrong with that because you need it every day. But man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus resists the temptations of Satan by the word of God. He wields it as a sword and is victorious over Satan. It's good when you're tempted to know the scriptures and to quote the scriptures and Satan will flee. Now, let's see the first words of Jesus spoken in public. What will they be? What are the first words of Jesus spoken in public? Let's have a look at chapter 4, verse 17. 4, verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now let's have a look at the response of people to the word of Jesus. Chapter 4 verse 31 chapter 4 verse 31 
He went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. This morning we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus and seeing the amazing authority that Jesus has. When my children were young, I would tell them to do various things, and they didn't do any of them. (laughs) My voice and words lacked authority. But what about the word of Jesus? What about the authority of Jesus? After these words, and people say, wow, this is different, such authority, we see the first, uh, the miracle that Jesus does, uh, and he frees a man from a demon. And what do the people say? Chapter 4, verse 36. Chapter 4, verse 36. All the people were amazed. What words these are, these are, with authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news spread about him in the surrounding area. Do you see a theme developing here? The word of God that has authority. It's a theme throughout Luke's gospel. The word of God speaks changes lives and people are amazed at the authority. And that's true in the second book that Luke wrote. What's the second book that he wrote? The book of Acts, that's right. Is that not the preaching of the word of God? With authority, people believe, lives are changed and people tell everyone else about the gospel. God's word is preached, God's word is taught, God's word spreads. People listen, people believe, and lives are changed. And this morning, that same word is arriving at your ears and mine. It's come to us this morning. The word of God. It is about to be preached. We are about to listen. And we are about to have our lives changed. Because that's what Jesus does if we've got ears to hear, of course, and if we are listening. In chapter 5, verse 15, have a look at that. Chapter 5, verse 15. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear Jesus and be healed of their sicknesses. Notice the order. First they hear the word of God, And then they're healed by the word of God. They listen, they come to listen to Jesus, and they find as they listen to his authoritative word, their lives are changed. Do you want people, maybe family members, friends, work colleagues and neighbours, to be touched by Jesus, to be blessed by Jesus, to be healed by Jesus, to have their lives changed by Jesus? Then they need to hear the word of Jesus. And how are they going to do that? Have you got a role to play in that? I could plug Alpha at this point, couldn't I? Mm. Help your friends and family to hear about Jesus. Or you can tell them yourselves. In chapter 4, verse 35, we see, Luke tells us that Jesus has authority over Satan. We've seen that. 
Chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus has authority over sickness. Chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus has authority over sin. Let me read that one. Chapter 5, verse 24. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus is the Lord who has authority over the Sabbath. Jesus' word is authoritative over Satan, sickness, sin and Sabbath and then we run out of the letter S's. But what a word. And the people are amazed at the powerful words of Jesus. And then Luke takes us to chapter 6 and verse 20. Have a look at that and you'll see it's the start of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Wonderful passage of the words of Jesus in all their beauty, wonder, and life-changing power. And Luke is saying, listen to Jesus. His word is wonderful and powerful, and he can change lives. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount by saying, hear my words. Put them into practice and you will stand firm even in the fiercest of storms. The word of Jesus is stronger than the most severe storm. It enables us to stand firm. Now all that is by way of introduction to the passage we have this morning, which is Luke chapter 7. And you'll see why it's important to understand that Luke is showing us the power and the authority of Uh, of the word of Jesus. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, which you'll notice begins with Jesus speaking and the people listening. Is that true this morning? Chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. When Jesus finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus. Oh, I guess someone must have told him about Jesus then. And sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation. And he's built our synagogue. Jesus went with them. It was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go. And he goes. I say, this one, come. And he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Did you notice how the healing of the servant is almost incidental? Not focused on. They go back to the house and they find his well. 
Because the focus of this passage is not the healing of the servant, though I guess the servant thinks it is. (laughs) But what Luke wants to draw attention to is not the healing of the servant, but the authority of Jesus. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus is amazed at this centurion's faith. He says it's a great faith. Not a great faith because he believes his servant will be healed. It's a great faith because he believes in Jesus, that he is a man of authority. And he only has to say the word, and it will happen. That is what is great about his faith. It's great because it's in someone great, Jesus Christ, who has authority. Just say the word. And who better to understand about authority than a centurion soldier? The centurion's whole world and life was all based on authority. That's spelt out for us. Luke highlights it. I say go, they go. I say come, they come. He understands the chain of command and authority and the power of a word. And so this man is able to help you and I in particular to see that Jesus is a man of authority. Say the word and he will be healed. And Luke has led up to this point by showing us that Jesus has authority. And people are amazed that he has authority over Satan. He has authority over sin. He has authority over the Sabbath. He has authority over sickness. But what about someone who's so sick they're at death's door? Does Jesus have authority over that sort of sickness that's about to kill someone? Well, chapter 7, verse 2, Luke makes sure we understand that this guy wasn't just sick, but about to die. And Luke, of course, is a doctor. He always adds a little extra insight when people are unwell, like the leper, he says, was covered with leprosy. He sees these things, he's a doctor, and he knows that this guy wasn't just sick, He was about to die. And yet the servant is made well. Jesus has authority not over sickness, but a sickness that's about to kill. Impressive. No wonder the people are amazed. But there's more to come. Verse 11. Jesus can make a sick man well. What else can he do? Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on and the bearer stood still and he said, Young man, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. You don't hear that very often, do you? The dead man sat up and began to talk. We all want to know what he said, don't we? Shall I tell you? No idea. Although I know if it was important, we would have been told. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Death separates. Jesus unites. And even death cannot separate us 
where Jesus is present. Jesus gave him back to his mother. The Lord Jesus has authority over Satan, sin, Sabbath, sickness and even death. And in verse 13, Luke calls Jesus the Lord. And he uses that phrase for the first time in his gospel. It's at the point of revelation that Jesus has authority over death that Luke tells us this is the Lord. The one who is compassionate. Don't cry. The one who is powerful. Young man, get up. And he rises. The Lord has authority over Satan, over sin, the Sabbath, sickness, death and anything else you can imagine or experience in life. The word of Jesus can still the fiercest storm. To the wind he can say, be quiet. And he can bring peace to even the most troubled heart or life. Chapter 7 Verse 16. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. It spread because Jesus, people spoke about Jesus to others. They say, God has come to help us. Too right he has. (laughs) Bang on there, weren't they? God has come to help us. God has come to help us. The living word of God, the word made flesh, says man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then he goes to show just how amazing that word of God is. How powerful it is. How life-changing the word of God is. No wonder when Christ is transfigured and something of his glory is seen, God the Father in heaven says, This is my son. Listen to him. So I wonder how you and I are planning to listen to Jesus this week. Have you got plans for this week? I expect you'll be listening to all sorts of things. Many voices want our attention. The TV, the radio, our families. The advertisers, the politicians. We live in a world of words. But who has words as wise, as compassionate, as wonderful, as powerful and life-changing as the word of God? Jesus Christ. God has come to help us. They say a great prophet has come amongst us. A prophet is someone who speaks the word of God. That's what a prophet does. And maybe they've got Elijah in mind. He was considered to be one of the greatest of prophets in the Old Testament. And Elijah's word of prayer raised a widow's only son from the dead. Last week I asked you to read the first 30 verses of Luke Uh, chapter 7 and I asked you if you could see a connection between the centurion in the first part the widow whose son is raised and then the passage goes on to John the Baptist the connection that I see 
is really victory over death. Chapter 7, verse 2, a sick man about to die. Chapter 7, verse 12, a dead person being carried out. Verse 15, a dead man is raised from the dead. And chapter 7, verse 22, says this. Go back to John and report what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed. These words come to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison on account of preaching the word of God. He rebuked King Herod for sleeping with his brother's wife. And Herod was not amused. And he had John put in prison. And John knows that there is a death sentence over his head. And Jesus makes sure he understands. The dead are raised. These words are for John the Baptist. Not long ago, John was absolutely certain Jesus was the Messiah. He was the chosen, anointed, authoritative King of God who has power. Chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus said, The one who's coming after me, referring to Jesus, is more powerful than I. He has power and authority. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He has no doubt when he sees Jesus and he says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But that was when the sun shone on John. That was when he was free and he was preaching and the crowds came flocking to him and all was well. When the sun shone, his faith was strong. But now... Well, life didn't turn out the way he expected. Dark storm clouds overhead, as is an executioner's axe. And his faith in Jesus begins to dwindle away. This is not what he was expecting in his life. And doubts are growing. Verse 20. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And perhaps that's you this morning. Once the sun shone and you believed. But now you're in a storm and there are dark clouds all around you. And your faith is taking a pounding. Like John, I've been in that dark dungeon of doubt. There have been times in my life when I've experienced Wondering not just if Jesus is word of authority, but whether there's a God at all. Life wasn't turning out the way I expected. In my experience, every Christian has times of doubt. Is Jesus really God's son? Is the word of God really powerful and authoritative? In the sunshine, John's shone, faith shone brightly. In the dungeon, doubts begin to grow. So, here's a question. What does John do with his doubts? 
what do you do with yours? We see that John doesn't deny that he doubts. He deals with them. He faces them. He doesn't bury them away and pretend otherwise. John deals with his doubts. And he shares them with others, those at his trust, his disciples, those that are closest to him. He's not so proud to say, ooh, I might have got it wrong about Jesus. And he's not ashamed to say that. He says, go and see Jesus because I'm beginning to question. He shares his doubts with those that he trusts. And he takes his doubts to Jesus. Are you the one who was to come? So that's what John does with his doubts. He doesn't deny them or bury them. He faces them, deals with them, shares with others whom he trusts, and he makes sure that he goes to Jesus himself and says, I'm doubting you. So what does Jesus do with this doubting disciple? Well, he doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't mock him. Of course not. Jesus loves him as Jesus loves you and he understands you and I. Especially when we're in a dark place. Now what Jesus does is he helps John's little faith to grow again. And he does that by saying to John, look at me and listen to me. Verse 22. Go back and report to John what you have seen, look at me, what you have heard, listen to me. Faith comes by the word of God, we are told in Romans. Faith comes by looking to Jesus. Faith grows as we look to Jesus. Faith comes by listening to God's word. When we're assailed by doubts, don't focus on the doubts or on the storm. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Don't look at the storm, look at the Saviour. Don't listen to the voice of doubts, listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. And turn your ears afresh to him. God said, this is my son, listen to him. Jesus is the Lord, who has all authority in heaven and earth. Now then, the centurion soldier, though close to death, was made well again. The young man, though dead, lived again. And John the Baptist, though in prison and under the threat of death, what happened to him? Anyone know? Yeah, his head cut off. Oh dear, that spoils the story a bit, don't you think? I say we pretend that isn't in the Bible and we move on and just look at the happy stories of when it all worked out the way that we expect it to work out. All in favour of that? (laughs) Okay, well let's see what we think about that. Centurion's servant was close to death and was healed. The young man was dead. John the Baptist had his head cut off, served on a platter to Herodias at a party. He wasn't expecting that. Jesus never promised his followings an easy life or one without cost or pain or suffering. 
I seem to remember him saying, take up your cross, be willing to die for me. Jesus did say, however, no matter how strong the storm, he would always be with us and strengthen us. And that by his spirit, he would not only be with us, but he would be within us to strengthen us. And give us his peace. A peace that is beyond understanding. And doesn't come in from the storm around us. But a peace that comes from the saviour within us. Some years ago, I stood alone in a hospital corridor. I looked out across London and it was winter and late afternoon and the light was receding and the darkness was growing. My wife Helen was on the operating theatre and we both knew she might go blind She might be paralysed or she might die. And as I looked out in the darkness, I saw a few little lights begin to appear. And then, quite suddenly, a really bright light appeared in the sky. It appeared to be in the sky. It was the cross illuminated on a church spire. It took my eye away from the darkness and it attracted me. And I fixed my eyes on the light of the cross. And in that moment I was filled with a sense of peace. Heavenly peace. It wasn't a peace that said that Helen would be healed. It was a peace that said, all will be well. I am with Helen and I I'm with you. And I have all authority in heaven and earth. The cross was empty. The tomb of Jesus is empty. Death has been defeated. Where, O death, is your sting? Young man, I say to you, get up. To John the Baptist, he says, not that he won't die, but that the dead are raised. Such is the authority of the word of God. God has indeed come to help us. Do not be afraid. We live in a world full of words. Who are you and I going to listen to and look to? Who are we going to turn our ears to and fix our eyes upon? I'm going to close with some readings from Romans chapter 8. And turn to it if you want or just listen to the word of God. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 18 of chapter 8 in Romans. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing 
with the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And finally, verses 31 to 39. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, he is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 